Good morning, everyone. I hope all of you are well. <laughs> well, some of you did, did not ignore me. <laughs> hey, this is, uh, as our song's going to say, what a fellowship, right? No, I, have, there's, there's nothing but good about fellowshipping and catching up, and, and I know that, um, well, where'd Larry go? Come on up here in your spot, Larry. We're grateful for, uh, <laughs> don't lose Larry. Uh, I do want to say for, for Larry and Sandy, good to see you back. I know they went out to Texas, Louisiana because Miss um, Sandy's sister was, was deathly sick and passed away. And uh hope you had a, a, a moving service and, and so forth with, with your family. Uh, Sharon Williams was, amen. Amen. Grateful for the gospel, which she believed, and, and good to see you back. So let's continue to pray for the family of Sharon Williams. Um, also, I hope all of you by now know Harry Robinson passed away. Just a, a special deacon in our church and friend and, 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 um, and believer. And Harry's service was yesterday, and all went well with that and his family. But continue to remember them in your prayers. Um. Also, good to see Randy Meacham back. Randy, we have, we have greatly missed you, and uh, we're also very grateful for the fact that you are, you are doing better after not only COVID, but a, a brief bout with vertigo, apparently. So, thank you, Randy, for who you are and what you do. Um, next Sunday evening, okay, with, with Nick Washburn's passing... Uh, I want to catch some of you up on what we decided in regards to the deacon election, which was postponed for a full year and a couple of months. So there were six uh, names on the list for our deacon election back in 2020. And Nick Washburn was one of those men. And obviously God elected Nick to an to a even higher calling. So our church voted at conference last Sunday night to install, elect the, the five men that were remaining on that ballot. Two of those men were Alan Brooks and Giles Roberts. Next Sunday evening, which is what I'm getting to, we're going to have an ordination service for Alan and Giles. But it's not going to be your typical ordination service in that it's not going to have a quote-unquote laying on of hands. Uh, we're going to spread out in here and, and, and say some encouraging words to these men and, and read scripture and pray for them right where we are. So we're going to have a unique ordination service for the times next Sunday evening at 6 o'clock. So even if you can't be here, just be aware of that and be in prayer for Alan and Giles. We're grateful for their, their willingness to serve in our deacon rotation. Um, I have no other announcements other than we're going to miss Mr. Joe. And we're going to miss Catherine this morning. So all you got's me, Kyle, and Miss Judy to sing. But we're going to, we're going to sing to the Lord. It's about him anyway. So were there other uh, requests or announcements that we need to make? Anything else? Good. Amen. Beth, thank you for bringing that to, uh, to our attention. Well, it's a beautiful spring day, is it not? 
Let's stand and worship and thank God for it. I'm going to ask Jeff if he would to lead us in prayer. And then we're going to sing um, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. And then one of my favorite songs, Hallelujah, What a Savior. Jeff, would you please pray? number, well, no it's not. Let me get to the right hand. It's number 575 in your hymnal if you need that. The words are also on the screen. Thank you, Miss Judy.
Amen. Thank you, Kyle. Hey, I also want to thank Kevin Marshall for planting the maple trees down by the road here. As they receive some healthy sunlight this morning, they are busy growing. Thank you, Kevin, for doing that for us. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 6. I realize this morning as we sing... As I preach, I might have spent too much time last night yelling at the umpire. <laughs> if you notice, my voice is a little, little shot, and I, I was a bad steward of my gift uh, with the chilly night air. He just, he just wasn't getting it all right, and I felt like I needed to help him. And so I'm going to use that as an introduction today to what it means to be a Pharisee. <laughs> Yes, sir. 
Never, Terry never does that. Yeah, Terry's never done that. He's never do that. I guess that's a good lead-in, Terry, to, to, to being a Pharisee because the Pharisee, well, I, I'll, I'll read the text and, and let it speak for itself. But the Pharisees were scrutinizing everybody and everything. And to really expose the hypocrisy of the Pharisee, they are scrutinizing Jesus. And uh, there's, there's nothing wrong ever with Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is very God of very God. He is the Word become flesh and dwelling among us. But in Luke chapter 6, we are in the midst of five controversies. And what I'm covering this morning in Luke 6 are the last two of the five. Bryson did a great job last Sunday explaining uh, the controversies that were in the portion that he taught us there at the end of Luke 5. And, and in just a minute, I'll review those five controversies. But the last two are dealing with the Sabbath in verses 1 through 11. And what I want us to see is that for the Pharisees... Their, their emotions and their response to Jesus is about to reach the boiling point. Jesus is calling to himself those who are aware of their sin. Uh, so he's in the midst of calling disciples to himself. Like Matthew the tax collector, like Peter. And so those are some of the things that we've looked at the last few weeks. But, but not everybody is on board with the mission. Not everybody is getting with the program that is the work of the Messiah in the world to save sinners. There's a group of people who we're going to see this morning who were his most prominent opponents. And we're going to see their attitudes and their thoughts are, and their actions are revealed, tested, and exposed through these five so-called controversies. Now, if any of us ever go through controversy, and we do, it exposes a lot about our character and our nature. It shows us who we are. And these five controversies reveal who Christ is, and they also reveal who the Pharisees are. And uh, let's just say the difference is infinite between Jesus and the Pharisees. So let's pick up in Luke chapter 6, verse 1. So it came about that on a certain Sabbath, he, that is Jesus, was passing through some grain fields. And his disciples were picking and eating the the heads of grain and rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees says, oh, wait, wait, you can't do that. You're working. Well, I mean, I'm kind of getting inside their head, but look at verse 2. Some of the Pharisees says, why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answering them said, have you not even read the Bible? Have you not even read what David did when he was hungry and he and those who were with him How he entered the house of God and took and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for any to eat except the priests alone, and he gave it to his companions. 
And he was saying to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Then in verse 6, so in verses 1 through 5, we're in the grain fields on the Sabbath. Now, beginning in verse 6, we're going to be in the synagogue on the Sabbath. So it came about on another Sabbath that he entered the synagogue and he was teaching. And there was a man there whose right hand was withered. I want to point out that Luke specifies that it was his right hand. And the right hand in general is your strong hand, right? I mean, correct? (laughs) We want to get our rights mixed up there. Commentators pointed out that when your strong hand was withered, that's a great need, isn't it? Imagine those of you who labor with your hands, if you couldn't use your right hand, that's very limiting, correct? So his right hand is withered, and the scribes and the Pharisees, they were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath. And here's their intent, in order that they might find reason to accuse him. But he knew what they were thinking. And so he said to the man with the withered hand, rise and come forward. This is not going to be subtle. This is going to be obvious and intentional. So he tells him to rise and come forward. And Jesus, well, then he rose and came forward. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save a life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored. What an amazing miracle of God. Now I want to thank Jeff Rude for reminding me that in the book of Deuteronomy, when, well, Exodus 4, and then also he says it in Deuteronomy, then when God was calling Moses to redeem his people out of slavery, one of the things that God said to Moses was, reach out your right hand. And grabbed that serpent by the tail that had become, well, he threw down his rod, becomes a serpent. Moses, reach out your right hand. He picks it up. And here is Jesus, God's Redeemer, bringing his people restoration and salvation. The new and better Moses is what I'm interpreting and and sharing with you. But not everybody's happy with that. And not everybody was happy with what Moses was doing either. So look at verse 11. They themselves were filled with rage. What? The word there actually includes rage with insanity. They became insane. That's how angry they were. Now, now you've become insanely angry before. <laughs> okay, You're a human being. We lose our mind. They were filled with rage, and they discussed together what they might do to Jesus. And what I want to remind us of is in Mark's account, when they discussed together what they're going to do with Jesus, Mark tells us that they right then and there decided 
to destroy Jesus. So they reached the height and the epitome of hypocrisy. So let's pray and then let's back up and see what we would learn from this text. Father, thank you this morning for this word, how, how convicting it is. Because I know, Lord, there's, there's still some leaven of the Pharisee in us and me. And I pray, Lord, that through the gospel and your spirit, you would clean all that out. So that we might fully love Jesus and love people. And love you, God. Father, and love people the way you would call us to. Thank you for our, our time around and, and in your word. Help us, Lord, through your spirit to understand it and be empowered to live it out. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the Pharisees were a very influential group of people. They lived among the people. And they practiced strict purity through separation from anything impure. Bryson emphasized last week that they had so many extra laws that they added to the Word of God. They went above the line in so many areas, including the Sabbath. They had 39 extra laws just related to the Sabbath observance. And when you begin to study why they added those extra laws, and you hear the things that Jesus said about them adding to the law, they did a lot of this for the establishment of their own self-righteousness and the idea that they would be morally superior to anyone else. Therefore, they were blind to their own need of Jesus. In other words, we said last week that Jesus emphasized that he came not for the well, but for the, for the sick. Well, the Pharisees don't realize that they're sick. They don't realize that they're unrighteous. And one of the reasons they don't realize it is they are blinded by their own morality because they feel like they're keeping all these extra laws that they've added to God's law. So they want to feel superior to other people, which comes out in the prayer of the Pharisee and the publican, Luke will share later, where the, the, you know, the Pharisee gets up there and what does he say? Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Now These other people, they're missing the grade. They don't have the score that I have. And I'm so grateful that I'm not bad like they are. What they were really doing was avoiding the hard truth of their own depravity and lack of love for God and other people. In other words, it was a diversion. It was them trying to divert and avoid the weightier issues of the law. So one of the things this text reminded me of this morning was a warning that Jesus gave on several occasions to his disciples. Jesus says, watch out and beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So let's think a little bit about the, the leaven, just a little bit of that yeast. Just a little bit would have a great effect on the whole. And it would make it rise. And symbolically, leaven represents sin 
in the life of the believer or in the life of the Israelites. Therefore, they were to you know, travel with, with unleavened bread, with, with bread with no yeast. And later on, Jesus applies this to the Pharisees. He says, beware. Just a little bit of what they've got inside of them will affect all of you. All of you as individuals, and it will affect all of you as a, a group. A little yeast makes the whole loaf rise. So, one of the quick takeaways from this is we must rid ourselves of all pride, unbelief, hardness of heart, and self-deceit. If we are to be mature, growing followers of Christ. It only takes a little bit of pride, a little bit of unbelief, a little bit of hardness of heart, a little bit of self-deceit. These are the little foxes that ruin the vineyard, as referred to in the Song of Solomon. The reason this was important for Peter and the rest of the followers of Christ is that a suffering servant Messiah would would endanger them because of their preconceived notions and their mentality. Seeing that Jesus would go to the cross and suffer was going to be an issue for his followers and Jesus knows this and he prepares them in advance for this. They too and we too are in danger of this kind of attitude. The attitude of the Pharisee, the silent killers. of Self-pity, bitterness, envy. So let's go back. What are the five controversies? This is very quickly review. First, remember Jesus forgave the paralytic and healed him. So the first controversy was that Jesus forgave sin. They begin to talk and grumble. Only God can forgive sin. Then he called Levi, the tax collector, to be his disciple. That was the second controversial act of Jesus. Then the controversy of the fact that Jesus' disciples didn't fast. And, and John the Baptist did. So Bryson explained Jesus is establishing a new order. And that while Jesus was there, there was no need to fast. And then these last two controversies deal with eating grain on the Sabbath and Jesus healing a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. So let's talk a little bit about the Sabbath before we get into the progression or digression of the Pharisees and their attitude. Let's think for a moment about the Sabbath because clearly Luke chapter 6 has as its theme what should take place on the Sabbath. Now the Sabbath was established in the creation order by God, not because God was tired. But God wanted to signify to man who was created on the sixth day that on the seventh day all was to be resting because of the completion of the magnificent, beautiful creation of God. The seventh day was about wonder. It was about worship. It was about getting things right and understanding That it is he who has made us and not we ourselves. And then in the Exodus, God still commanded the Sabbath. Uh, They were to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. But the Pharisees, by this point, had got it all backwards. And that's why in Mark, Jesus says to the Pharisees, Man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for, for who? For man. To highlight the fact that man was created by God and for God's glory and for a right relationship with God. 
So let's go to the grain fields and see what was going on with this grain field, grain field controversy. That's in verses 1 through 5. Obviously, David and his men became hungry. And if David and his men becoming hum- hungry could, could enter into the temple and eat the consecrated bread, then certainly Jesus, <laughs> who is greater than David, and his disciples, if they become hungry, then God the Creator who makes the grain fields can meet the need of human hunger and sustain the need for the human body to be fed by allowing his disciples to go and eat grain out of this field. The real kicker is what he says in verse 5. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus there is making a claim to deity. He is claiming there to be the ultimate ruler, the ultimate creator. He's the one who made the Sabbath for man. You cannot tell the judge how to interpret and apply his laws. Just as you can't sit in the stands and argue with the umpire about the rules of baseball. He's the boss. He says what goes. And these Pharisees are so locked in on themselves and their rules that they are missing the whole point. How many times do we say to ourselves and other people, you're missing the bigger picture, you're missing the point. They were putting their rules over the relationship that they were to have with God. They were focused on the laws and not the lawgiver. They were focused on the gifts and not the giver. Just as Paul later warns, you can focus on creation and not the creator. God made the Sabbath to meet the needs of man. And on this particular case, Jesus is saying, the Lord of the Sabbath can give his people food on the Sabbath to meet and sustain their needs. So this points to the fact that he is creator, that he is judge, that he is lawgiver. And he's the son of he is the son of man and, and he is lord over the over the sabbath. You know, you know he said something very similar in in other places and and Jesus again is bringing this new order. Uh, imagine he says this something greater than the temple is here. Something greater than the Sabbath is here. The Sabbath rest that Jesus will give to his people from the law, sin, death, hell, judgment. I'm getting beyond where I want to get at this particular point. But in the field, we learn that Jesus is Lord. And what they really should be doing is having wonder in the fact that here is the creator who's come down. Then in the, in the synagogue, we have the second one, the healing controversy. Let's look at this one briefly there in verse 6. Again, this is another Sabbath, and he goes into the synagogue. He's teaching. He's been doing that before, and we know what he's teaching. We've talked about that before. 
Man, they're watching him closely. And I've talked a little bit about what he does. This is such a, such a miraculous, uh, gracious thing that he does to demonstrate the fact that Christ can make us new creations, that he can reverse the curse, that here is someone who's suffering and he's alleviating suffering. And it's always right to alleviate suffering. On the Sabbath, is it lawful to do good or should you do harm? To save a life or to destroy a life? You know, one of the things the Pharisees accused Jesus of was casting out the demonic by Beelzebub. Casting out demons with demons. And here they're looking for a legal accusation that can be used against him in court. They have an agenda. Jesus had the power to heal this man, and failure to do so would have been wrong. And obviously they again become filled with rage and fury and seek to destroy him. One of the things we ought to stop and ask, though, here is Jesus is highlighting what matters most, isn't he? It would be helpful for us to ask at this point, why do people get hungry? Why do strong hands wither? Why do people get sick and lame? Why are people in need of restoration? Well, it's because we live in a broken and fallen world, and we're all under a curse. We're under judgment. This is a sin-infected world, and we are all walking around in a hospital, not as doctors, not as staff, not as visitors, not as pastors, but as, as dying and hungry patients. You know, there are a lot of different ways to go into a hospital. <laughs> but if you've ever been in the hospital as a patient in need of the care that's there, it totally transforms how you see a place like that. There's no perfect room here. There's no sin-free activities here. Even our righteousness is tainted with sin. This is filthy rags. I've never preached a sinless sermon. I've never led a sinless Bible study. Because everything that we do is tainted. And thank, thanks be to God that He can use our imperfections for His glory and for His good. But what matters most is emphasized over and over in the Bible. Micah 6, 8. He has told us what is good and what He requires of us to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. The Pharisees were trying to find the perfect, airtight, sinless way to live. They were completely blind to their sin and their depravity. If they understood the Sabbath rest that Jesus provides, they could have then been free to live and enjoy what life's really about, loving God and loving people. Now, I wrote this in as my personal testimony this week. I catch myself, and I'm talking to Neil, all the time putting my agenda, my ideals, and my vision above people and the gospel. Not that these things don't matter. They just must be put in their proper place. I too can lose sight of what really matters. Loving God and loving people. My wife, my children, my parents. Being in self-sacrificing relationships that demand love and grace. God is much more concerned about what kind of person I'm becoming. So how do I avoid the pitfalls of becoming a Pharisee? 
Jesus gave over and over these woes to Pharisees in the Gospels. And there were a few that stood out to me that I think we need to hear over and over in the church. Bryson mentioned some of these last week. Woe to those who will draw near to Jesus with their lips, but their hearts are far from Him. Right? Woe to those who are continually straining out gnats, but swallowing camels. Woe to us who are continually concerned about the speck in other people's eye and forget the log that's in our own. Woe to those who are only concerned about the external way things look and not what's going on on the inside. Because Jesus said to the Pharisees, inside of you is greed and, 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 and pride and, and dead men's bones. You look good on the outside, but you're a grave, you're a tomb. And then he said, you don't care about people. You will not lift a finger to help others. Those were some of the warnings. And when I read through those warnings, I say, man, beware the leaven of the Pharisee. And be sensitive to the Pharisee that's still in you. So let's think about the Pharisees and how, how did they go from, from listening to Jesus to wanting to kill Jesus? What was the path of descent to murder and hypocrisy? So here's the downgrade. All right, Here's how we become that. And it goes back to these five controversies and how they began to respond to Jesus slowly but steadily going downhill to the point where they would destroy Jesus. First, going back to the controversy, we were here a few weeks ago, in, uh, when he forgave the, the paralytic sin. First, they were scrutinizing Jesus. In other words, they began in watching Jesus by sitting there idly observing. They weren't there because they were hungry. They were there to grade everybody. It would be like the difference between... You, you go in the restaurants and you see these scores on the wall these restaurant grade scores. Some get 99, you're like, man, I can eat here. <laughs> I mean, I don't make a habit of looking at those scores because I'm scared some of the places I love may have failed badly. But they're scrutinizing. They're not there because they're hungry. They're there to grade everything and everybody. And they're grading Jesus. They're not there to soak it up. It would be like me coming last week listening to Bryson and me sitting back as the expert. Oh, I preach here every Sunday. What's Bryson got for me today, you know? Instead of coming there hungry for a word from God. We're not here to scrutinize. They were there beginning in the temple to scrutinize Jesus. They felt like they were the religious health experts and they're going to tell everybody what their score is. They weren't there to be fed. They were there to critique. So they weren't get engaged in the beginning in the right way. They weren't leaning in. They were leaning back. You know, they, they were scrutinizing. Then they began to reason. It says they began to reason. And Jesus was, he was aware of their reasoning. They questioned Jesus' authority from their position of expertise. Not recognizing that their reasoning and their thinking is broken. 
They were leaning on their own understanding. Misinterpreting, misapplying. We've got to remember human reasoning is not neutral. It's selfish and it's broken. And our knowledge will puff us up. It's the glory of God to conceal a mystery. And you and I need to stop overthinking. And start trusting. I really like what Bryson said last week. These guys had made themselves self-appointed guardians of the law. And completely had lost the wonder of looking at a child in the face and being awed by, by the beauty. So they began by scrutinizing, then they started thinking to themselves, and then they started, number three, they started grumbling. They started grumbling. Now, now it's all settled into their heart. Uh, we're to do all things without grumbling and complaining. So they weren't there to serve, and they weren't there to follow. They were there to, 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 to let out their, their, their toxic uh, problems and, and, and misery. They weren't there to figure out how to sacrifice and give, but, but they were there just to grumble and complain. The word that he uses here in Luke is the same type of word that the Israelites were described as grumbling in the wilderness against God for his lack of, quote, provision that, that they thought God should be giving them. The number four, they start criticizing and attacking. They can't hold it in any longer, so they engage in verbal assault. First they go to his followers, then they go to Jesus. They're trying to bully and intimidate the followers of Jesus and even Jesus himself with their laws and traditions. They're constantly comparing themselves to others with this self-righteous attitude. And what they really need is a good introduction to themselves. And then they start accusing. I mean, the water's really starting to boil now. And they are accusing with a purpose. Look at verse 7 of Luke 6. In order they, that they might find reason to accuse him, they're, they're watching him closely. And then the last step is destruct, destruction. Mark says they take counsel with the Herodians against Jesus as to how they might destroy him. So ironically and hypocritically, they are going to do harm and they are going to destroy the Savior, the Son of the very God they pretend to know and worship. And they're going to feel absolutely justified in doing so. Their self-preservation politics have driven them to destroy the sacred and holy one and murder the Messiah. The world always destroys the sacred and holy out of self-preservation. I mean, the irony in verse 9 couldn't be any thicker. On the Sabbath, should you do good or harm? Should you save a life or destroy it? And they reach the point in verse 11 where they are going to destroy the most sacred life that's ever been, the life of Jesus. So I want to conclude by saying, how shall we live? <laughs> if I'm to beware of the leaven of the Pharisee that's in us, and it's always lurking, and I'm not to be scrutinizing and reasoning and grumbling and, 
attacking and accusing, which would lead to destroying the things of God. How shall we live? And what's going to change me to live that way? Well, instead of scrutinizing, we should be seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Instead of reasoning, we should be reverencing His nature with wonder and awe. Instead of grumbling, we should be grateful. Grateful for His grace and His mercy. Instead of critiquing, we should be celebrating the work of God. Instead of accusing, we should be acknowledging His Lordship. Instead of plotting, we should be participating sacrificially in His mission and resting in Christ and His finished work, which is the true Sabbath. And loving God and loving others in a merciful, gracious way. Later on in Luke, a lawyer's going to come and he's going to say, What shall we do to inherit eternal life? And it really simplifies it for people like you and me. And we need simplification. Because if the Pharisees had 600 and something rules in their rule book, and they were constantly adding to it and placing this burden on people, what will set us free? For me, it's the beauty of simplicity. You know, keep it simple, stupid. I ought to practice that even more in my sermons. But Jesus summed it up by saying, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He said, If you'll love me, you'll keep my commandments. You don't have to worry about the details, you won't have to worry about all the specifics, but love me. Put me first and love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you'll do that. (laughs) But how do we do that? That's where we need the gospel. See, what the Pharisees needed and what you and I need is, is not more laws. We don't need more rules. What we need is a a new nature. (laughs) We need a new relationship. We need someone to come down to us and die for the fact that we've broken all the rules from the very beginning and that there's none righteous in us. There's there's no righteousness in us. I need someone to come down and to keep the true law for me. I need somebody to love God with all my heart, with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I need somebody to love neighbors. Well, that, that somebody is Jesus. That's a righteousness that's not our own but a righteousness that comes to us as a gift from God. And then not only do I need forgiveness, I need transformation. I need a new nature. Where somebody's not following me around with a rule book keeping score, but I need somebody to change my heart and life so that I want to love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I want to love my neighbor as myself. The Pharisees and us needed a new nature. They needed grace They needed God. They needed a miracle. They needed Christ. They needed a new yoke. So on the sixth day, God created man originally. And on that first day, you know what man did? Man rested and worshipped in wonder. And then God put him to work. But under the old covenant, man was working, 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 and then resting. And then work and work and work and then resting. 
Well, on Friday, the Pharisees and religious leaders crucified Jesus. Then on the Sabbath, he rested. And then on the the first day, he rose from the dead. (laughs) And so now we have a new covenant, a new order, where we, we on the first day of the week come and we celebrate Jesus and we worship and then we go to work. And we work from the rest that he gives us in the gospel. He's taken us back to how it originally was. We rest in His finished work, and that sets us free and empowers us to love God and love people. So for us, let me put it into something that's tangible. As Harry Robinson died this week, and as I thought about Harry's life, if you want to know what a Pharisee isn't, look at Harry Robinson. He was not a Pharisee. You can take every single one of the one another ministries, love one another, do good to one another, honor one another, serve one another, forgive one another. And Harry Robinson epitomied the inside out of what it looks like to truly love God and love people in a sincere, devoted, lifelong way. Now, Harry Robinson was not perfect, and he's not in heaven because he did good. But it was obvious That he was the real thing to me. Now, not all of you probably know Harry, but I'm just saying that we have living examples among us of what we are not to be. But we have ultimately in Christ everything that you and I should be. And if there is any Pharisee in you and any Pharisee in me, and I know that there is because... In our homes, in our churches, in our communities. we got to clean that out. (laughs) But the one thing the Pharisees were missing, they had everything. The one thing they were missing, though, was the most important thing, and that's love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. They missed the whole main thing, which was life in Christ. God makes that available to us through, through His Son. Let's find our rest in Him. And then work and serve from, from that rest that He gives us through the gospel, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Father, thank You for Your love and grace. Thank You for, ultimately, Jesus. I need forgiveness Because I failed to keep your law. That's what it means to be a sinner. But we have one who, in every aspect, fulfilled the law's demand for righteousness. And that is Jesus. And he has set us free from the burden of the yoke of the law, which none of us could fulfill. We see on resurrection day, a new day. That your justice has been satisfied. Everything that the law pointed to. Jesus, the the demands he fulfilled. And through his blood we have the atonement for our sins. And I thank you that the resurrection shows this new day. And now we gather regularly to to celebrate and wonder and gratitude. The joy of, of what Christ has finished for us. And 
And thank you that like, like that man, we, we can stand up and, and we can stretch out our lives upon you and, and be restored, become new creations, and live lives of service to you that would be pleasing to you, even, even through our, our imperfections and, and flaws. Thank you for your amazing grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing uh, a song we haven't done in a while, Be Thou My Vision. May God himself be our focus and our vision. I'll be down here if any of you would like to come and pray. At the Certainly open a shared decision with me. But uh, Miss Judy's going to play, and so this is going to be, say, self-led. You sing and you worship, and this will serve as our time of invitation. Sunday school classes at 10. Jeff, who's, who's teaching today? Terry? Jerry? Jerry. We have Jerry's and we have Terry's. But today it's Jerry. Thank you, Jeff, for what you're doing. Any other announcements? At 6 o'clock today, we'll do um, adult Bible study. We'll do student Bible study. Uh, Bryson will lead that this evening. Um, and I think that's all to announce, unless you've got some. Benji, will you close us in prayer, please, sir? Thank you.